Hey everyone, welcome to Gods of Eden. I'm really excited to be back for season 4 and I'm super appreciative that I'm starting the season with someone as amazing as Alex Holmes. Alex is a man of many, many talents. He has his own podcast, his own newsletter. He works with people around emotional resiliency and most recently became a published author with his book, Time to Talk. I have a great amount of respect for the man that Alex is and around the work that he does. He has a fantastic platform that shares conversations around men's mental health, which of course I greatly resonates with me. And I just love, I love the way he goes about his work with such empathy and consideration. And he's also a very deep thinker, which is something that I've been intrigued by. And I was able to pick his mind and hear about his journey, which is something that once again, I'm just, I'm very appreciative of. You can find out everything that Alex has got going on through the show notes that you can see below. If you do like the episode, please subscribe. Please leave a rating if you're listening to this on Apple. And without further ado, here's the episode. Three, two, one, let's go. Hey Alex, how are you doing? Hi man, I'm good. How are you doing, Luca? I'm doing very well. I'm loving this sun and I'm loving that you've got a window near you. You can kind of just kind of glance out as well. You know, I recently moved my room around. I flipped it. Um, it wasn't by the window for so long. My bed was my bed was here, and um, I just thought to myself, why did it take? Why has it taken me so long to to move my desk and my workspace to the window? Um, because I can people watch <laughs> and daydream and watch the many movements and many lives of cats as I want, without feeling as if I'm really just not doing the work I'm supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just so fun just to see the everyday lives of the people on my street in their gardens. And it. gardens always tell you so much more than, um, than than the front of the house, you know? Completely agree. As well. So I'm, um, I, I'm very good. Um, and it's just nice being right by the window. I can daydream as well. And it's just, it's wonderful. I was previously in the corner and there wasn't much, um, there wasn't a window <laughs> there. So um, it's actually very good. I'm a big daydreamer. So I heavily, heavily connect with that kind of <laughs> letting your mind wander and do what it needs to do. So I'm a big for fan. Sure, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Shout out the daydreamers. Yep. Big shout out to the daydreamers. I'm a big fan. That that's how this has started. <laughs> wonderful. Right. So my first question Alex, can you give me a song that makes you happy or reminds you of a good memory? I saw this question and I'm a huge audiophile, like um, music, podcasts, audiobooks, conversations. Um, they really inspire me. And uh, one of the songs that really just popped in my mind straight away Um and I'm surprised it wasn't a Barris Hammond song, <laughs> but I'm sticking true to authenticity here. And um, it's Luther Vandross. Oh. Can you take me out? Oh. Can I take you out tonight? Or oh, I think it's called Take You Out Tonight, yeah. Um, and that is one of those songs that really, it does so much. It encapsulates, it encapsulates uh, positive masculinity mm. and a healthy masculinity and asking somebody out on a date. And um, it also reminds me of summertime. 
It reminds me of a beautiful man in Luther Vandross and yeah. the way that he kind of um, portrayed love and got people to really experience and evaluate love as well. Um, and, you know, people may not recognize how important it is to see men singing. Yeah. Um, that is a real, real kind of revolutionary thing um, because especially black men, because um, as much as, you know, black people are full of soul and outside of the church, it's um, it's always looked at when you see black men, it's usually just the whole, it's rap or something um, pertaining to urban culture. And when we see men singing, black men singing, it just comes from such a place. And um, when, they, when they're singing love, about love and about relationships, it just makes it that much more um insightful and intuitive so um i love that song um take you out by luther vandross is the song that always makes me smile always gets me in my feelings and it's not it's not hard really for me to get in my feelings so um yeah that's not really saying much but it's um it's definitely on a long list of mine that i have of songs that just have made up my my life so far i love it that's great. So the reason I've asked you that is because I have a Spotify playlist, which is the Guards okay. of Eden soundtrack. And it's Wonderful. kind of, I think just like you, I'm a big, um, big audiophile. And that this idea of like that song kind of has a mini representation of that person. And yeah, it's just a chronological kind of play. Yeah, just a place where each song represents a person and it kind of becomes a playlist. So that will be your song and that will be added to the Spotify playlist. And I absolutely love everything about the reasoning because it's a lot of the reason why you're here and why I've been so excited about having this conversation with you. So thank you very much. That will live there and that playlist will live in the show notes. Amazing. Awesome. So my first real question is, can you speak to your childhood in terms of how do you remember it and are there any early memories that really stick out to you about it it's so funny i had a conversation with this with one of my best friends recently um and it's and even on my podcast um i spoke to a psychologist about why we forget parts of our childhoods um and it's usually you know to do with trauma and you know blocking out the traumatic moments um, so there are real, real gaps in our memories as well. But I remember quite a few, I remember quite a lot my childhood, actually. Um, but the one thing that I would say is really, really sticks out is death. Um, in my family, it was a lot of death um, that really kind of laced my um, my childhood. Um, starting with the death of my grandmother when I was six, and then my grandfather when I was 14 then my aunt when I was around 10 um my uncle uh more recently my uncle and then my grandmother again my my maternal grandmother mm. but um it was a lot to do with death and um, about learning how we survive after death yeah it was a huge huge impact on my childhood but I also, we also, but I know, but it's, um, it's usually 
the, the creation and the ending of life. You know, like I remember a lot of my younger cousins being born. I remember a lot of my, my siblings, my siblings being born. Mm. I remember long summer holidays, long summer holidays. I think, yeah, I think it's weird to think that childhood is just a series of long summers. Yeah. Really and truly. And then as you grow older, they just become shorter and shorter and shorter. And then you are literally living for like the few weeks that you that you feel you have and you know and you know I spend a lot of my time trying to reclaim that right trying to reconnect back to what that means to have um to explore time and how we can get, how we can make it last longer um what we've got but you know I remember so many different things it's hard to pinpoint down one memory like I remember mm. spending a lot of time with my grandparents um, and learning from them, being so in awe by them and their kind of them, their just their majesty and just the way that they they acted. And a lot of time I spent with my cousins and my siblings, family parties, family functions, which you know has been kind of all put on hold since the pandemic. Now, yeah, um, being together, the last big family party slash function we had was my grandmother's funeral um, mm. in 2019 yeah um and you probably think oh why is that a party sort of thing um but you know we've always considered death as a death a celebration um and while we we do mourn and we are mourning the loss of somebody who was so dear to us mm we celebrate their life and we really remember it and go, because if we this, if we celebrated it and it was just a, uh, a kind of morbid or really down um, experience, it, it wouldn't do them any justice. It would be, be a bit more of a reflection of their life in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think that um, there's so much there's so much in my, in my childhood. It's just, it's so hard to pinpoint something down, but yeah. grief is something that was a huge theme for me growing up. Do you think and, that's, um, do you think that's impact because it's been so prevalent and present throughout your, you know, through a young age and kind of, as you've grown older, the idea of death, do you think yeah. it's, do you think it's encouraged you to change either your perception or relationship with death whereas you maybe wouldn't have had to have changed it in a certain way if you hadn't experienced it kind of consistently as you've grown up because you like you've mentioned it's something that you've experienced from like a toddler age but also you know preteen, teen and now as a man has it forced you to kind of consistently reevaluate like your own relationship with the idea of death and life consequently because of that I think it's, I'm just somebody who's so empathetic mm. um, and, and a deep thinker <laughs> and feeler, like I'm a deep, deep feeler. I guess it just wisened me up mm. to understanding what that is. You know, in comparison to a lot of my family members or friends even, uh, um, death doesn't, death like anything shocks people, shocks me, it shocks anyone. Mm. Because and, and we've recently suffered a tragedy recently as well in our family. I'm sorry to but, hear. That. Um, it's okay. 
but death always shocks like because you never know when it's coming but it's the kind of the dealing with it and what happens and how we kind of move through it which is important um and because i had that exposure to things so young and the family i had were very kind of explicit about being together and connected and working together and kind of moving through our emotions as one unit it helped me understand um the emotional impact of grief a lot more so i don't know um i'm happy that i experienced those things early because mm. it also meant that when it came to dealing with friends who have suicide ideation it meant that i could kind of tap into how i could be there for them in that space um when it came to friends losing people i really understood how i could show up for them mm. in their grieving and it just kind of prepares me just mentally and emotionally just for where the inevitable comes because it just makes me just really think about the briefness of life like life is so short mm. yeah. and um, I mean we don't talk about death enough as a culture we don't talk about death enough because so many cultures especially the indigenous cultures and you know the, the afro spiritual and indo spiritual and sino spiritual and um we're very very concerned with death not as a form of fear but as a natural part of what life is and what life continues to be you know it's that balance that works we see life and death every day mm. every season we see something dying and growing and dying again and um i just think that it's just time we kind of spoke about a lot of different about death and how we can how we navigate it especially how we navigate it as men as well one thing that you have spoken about is this idea of being sensitive and empathetic and you've alluded to it there how would you say because it's something that i quite relate to and i think it's probably as i look back now i've kind of had to reframe a couple of experiences that i don't know if they were traumatic as much but they were experiences now that i look back and i realize it was because of the way i was and maybe the discomfort people had with me being that way whether it was you know not hyper masculine or being a deep thinker like you said and being a bit more en- empathetic and sensitive but I was wondering if you can speak to how that maybe would have impacted you as you were kind of finding yourself as a teenager and a young man this idea of being someone that was a bit more sensitive a bit more introverted in terms of yeah just being a deep thinker I think it comes with a lot of term in terms of labels mis mischaracteristics in terms of how people perceive you and I was wondering if you can speak to being that way inclined and how it would have impacted you growing up so I was prone to anxiety as a child um and the thing is it wasn't always it wasn't always the case it was um I wasn't always an anxious child it was again it was the result of a traumatic loss um and the shifting of my understanding of what of um of of my childhood and the the nature of how that can really show up in altering 
the, the parental relationship with the child and the sibling relationship and that extended familial relationship, that all shifted on its head. Um, and there was a process of growing into more um, difficulty. Um, and I became more and more anxious because emotions were on the rise. Um, people hadn't dealt with grief in the ways that they could and they didn't have the opportunity to do so um, in the best ways. And all while children are growing up, trying to understand themselves, understand the world, understand nature, and their, their lives have been changed and, and, you know, the adults around us have, you know, aren't emotionally regulating themselves in ways that are, that are healthy because they don't know how. Um, so there was a huge collective grief there um, in, in that kind of space. And that's what kind of, and that's what created this idea of, of the anxious me of yeah. me being anxious and kind of struggling with um, my own kind of perspective of showing up and understanding the what masculinity was for me. It was a, you know, like it impacted the, I, my kind of experiences as a teenager just because, you know, when you are, you you don't, as a teen, you don't you don't know anything, but you think you know everything. Mm. And you do think you know that everything is the it's the be all and end all, really and truly. You think you have this infinite wisdom when you generally do not clearly because of the because of your just because of your age and your your life experience, you just don't have it. Um. So, but like you know, you think that you've lost enough people. Um, and it's just consistently sad, you know, mm. going through school and having lost my aunt, my granddad, a cousin. It was just all kind of like a lot at one time, but I still had to get on with the business of being a teenager and get on with the business of doing life and, you know, couldn't really wallow around and be upset. And it just wasn't, it was just strange. And as a teenager, you know, like, and then, that did make me more sympathetic and kind of more empathetic to people. So I was a, I was in a, I was in a lot of environments um, and like where I was doing a lot of more empathetic work. You know, I kind of did a lot of things to work with a lot of different pupils in my year group. I did and I mentored uh, years below me. I did a lot of these kind of different things because I was so. Um, at the time, I didn't realize this, but looking up, looking back on it. I was so kind of, I was looking for a way to nurture. Mm. And specifically, I really, and I know now, I was looking for a way to nurture other men, other boys, because I just noticed that we weren't having and weren't getting the nurturing that we so needed and mm. so craved. A lot of boys are just left to their own devices with their, with their emotions and their emotionality. They have to just get on with it. They should just understand that that is just not, something that they need to be literate in and mm. um, but because I was gentle because I was caring because I was nurturing I was 
deemed as not masculine because I loved R&B music, yeah. because I loved um, slow jams and emotional songs and because I read a lot yeah. um, and I really tapped into people's stories and I loved to share. Um, I used to love to watch dramas and not so much action. It was just like... They were like, you know, it was just, oh, you, you know, you're not, you're not like us. You're not a reg, you're not a real guy. You're kind of some, you're someone else, and you're, you're a good guy, quote unquote. Mm. In my head, I used to be like, nothing wrong with being a good guy. But I know the political, you know, issues with being a good guy nowadays is just, um, and that's just what I've come to learn. But um, it, when it when people when people use the words in terms like good guy and not a real not a real man, like side by side they are simultaneously just like diminishing your identity and your self-worth and understanding of yourself as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I didn't have, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, was, I didn't have this, all these myths and all these things that I thought I had to live up to, all these things, I just wasn't there. Like it just wasn't for me. And I, but I, but I had to, I felt like I had to conform to that. Yeah. Um. And one thing I've not been very good at doing well is conforming. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was a process. It was a, it was a struggle. Um, and um, but we thank, thank the universe, thank God, thank Creator that kind of got through that and kind of made it through to kind of adulthood where I could explore and understand all of these things and what these things meant for myself yeah um there's almost this air of like it's like an out body experience like hearing you go through that because it's anybody that knows me it's like extremely similar to who i am and my experience is probably one of the main reasons i've been drawn to you but it's this mm. idea of yeah, spending a lot of my preteen years, my teen years, my young adult years being told that because I wasn't this like typical man, which of course that's problematic enough as it is, but this idea of what a society's idea of what a man should be, that yeah, you end up finding, you end up having to adapt on the fly in terms of fitting into your surroundings just to, yeah, just as a, like a, a way of like self-preservation almost in this idea of if I just, you know, act like a man massively in quotations, mm. I can get through this and, you know, this person won't give me so much trouble or grief. And yeah. So to hear that is like, it's so strange to hear someone almost with like my exact perception and a lot of my story, but just can cannot wholeheartedly agree enough with the way that you kind of perceive it and just your life in general. I I love the fact you're a deep thinker. It it makes for this conversation to be just so much so much fun. But I do want to deter you to something that's very serious, which is twenty twenty one, we're hoping and touching wood that the summer's gonna be a bit more normal. Are you going to be in the streets of Notting Hill for Carnival this year? <laughs> and can you speak to your love of Notting Hill Carnival? 
I want to get my second dose of the vaccine so that I have the choice yeah. to go. I had my first dose already, so I'm waiting for my second dose. Great. Um, and I want to be in the streets of Notting Hill Carnival <laughs> with my foot in the air and my rum in a, somewhere. Yeah. And, I, and my rum somewhere, my flag flying behind me as I run down Notting Hill Gate. That's basically what I want to be doing. Whether the, whether whether London want to allow carnival to commence or recommence um, mm. again ever is another question. Mm. But uh, I love carnival. Yeah, carnival can you speak to is, it? Because I heard you I, say I look, it. I heard you speak about yeah. it in an interview, and it just hearing your voice like completely change and. The, oh my gosh. The, the passion you spoke for, I was like, I definitely need to hear about hear about this. Carnival is a love letter to my soul. <laughs> Every year I find myself just in the street for two days dancing to my birthright. <laughs> um, the real history of what it means to be a West Indian in this U- in the UK. But also the deep connective, the deep, the deep connectivity to, as I said earlier about the indigenous experience of what it means to be black in Britain, mm. and um, I look forward to Carnival more than I look forward to Christmas. <laughs> and um, it was just always just about time. I remember I always used to book a week off work. Um, and I used to kind of like, I was like, yeah, it's carnival time. I used to prep the bank holiday weekend and then just spend the week after carnival just in a deep grief before I went back to work because I was like, it's over. Um, it just makes it such a special event, man. It just means because it's all of the, it's all of the Caribbean cultures in one place. It's the soca, it's the zook, it's the dance hall, it's the, it's the vibrancy, it's the patties being sold on the corner, it's the people getting curry goat and festival and fish and all of that stuff. And it's the flags from every country, like mm. not even just the Caribbean, um, just every country just there and just in just vibing out to having a great time on the road. And it just become it it, you know, it becomes more of a I, I go there with my friends and it's a communal thing. It's a, it's just, a, it's just an element of joy, really. It's a one, it's the one time you you get out and you can express why you love the summer so much. Yeah. And I am still wanting to go and experience it in the Caribbean, mm. which was my plan for 2020. Yeah. However, 2020 had its own ideas about what it wanted for me. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I'm just, you know, I'm just excited to to even have the opportunity to have experienced carnival in the in the way that I've experienced it growing up. I've been at a carnival every single year since I was like 10. Wow. Um, I remember my first time going to carnival and being just among the crowds and the music, and it was just a beautiful time yeah like it's just amazing um amazing and i love it so much um it's just a time for me just to let loose and really say goodbye to the summer and welcome in the autumn i'm a big believer 
in that humans, regardless of your race and your ethnicity and your culture, we are such ritualistic people. Mm. And we we mark seasons and moments in ways that we just that are so inherent to us that we've forgotten how connected we are to these times. Yeah. Um you know, we've got Easter coming up soon and um yeah, okay, it's a it's a it's a time for family and things like that, but we also have we also mark it by the 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 changing of the clocks, the yeah. British summertime entering into a new phase of time, mm-hmm. essentially. We look at it as the kind of beginning of a new harvest and what that looks like for the rest of the um time up until October. Um you know, we we do all of that and then we kind of and you know, we are we are a part of the rituals that we have. And we just and we're not really we don't speak about that. We don't really connect that up together. Um and I think that it's just important that we do. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Oh hearing you talk about carnival just it's just enriching what's of your, the soul, man. I I'm what's your what's your background, Luca? Oh, so really confusing so half spanish well yeah half spanish a bit irish and english but um yeah the last name spanish my mum had a crush on the um he was coming to chelsea the year that she was pregnant with me which was Gianluca Vialli, the chelsea football player slash manager um saw him on tv said to my dad who's that Gianluca, so that's where the Italian name comes from. But yeah, so Spanish, Irish, which is why, yeah, I've got this, you know, I'm pale as anything, but can grow this ridiculous sized beard, which has been a fixture of lockdown. But yeah, that's it really in terms of kind of cultural culturally. But yeah, I think the Notting Hill Carnival, I want to go really badly was another reason why I asked you, because it is something that, I'm yet to do, but really there's a bit of regret in the fact I haven't done it earlier. So I'm very excited and hoping that I'm hoping 2021 gives us that at the very least, you know? At the very least. Yeah, because 2020 was such a bitch. The least you could do. Yeah, exactly. After last year, you know, give give us that. Mm So one of the big reasons that we're we're talking around this time is because spoiler alert, you're going to be an author. The book's going to be out, right? When this comes out, the book is out. Yeah, the yeah. Book will be so out as you're hearing this, this Alex's book is out. Um, when do you yeah. remember picking up your love for reading and literature? And do you remember an early book that really stuck with you? That kind of was like a wood on the wood on the fire it like fueled the passion as it were yeah um love for reading i've i've reading was my best friend before i even really understood what friendship was to be fair like i just was in books all the time it was just me my stories and that was it as i said your childhood is a series of long summers and you are just having summers where you are just reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and it's just it's wonderful it's just an amazing um it is an amazing experience um i i'm still waiting for my hogwarts letter and um that is where i really found my tribe right (laughs) 
in my Hogwarts um, experience. Um, I loved, I, I love young adult fiction. I have a deep, deep, like, I mean, I'm, I mean, when you have to be an adult and read adult stuff, you're just like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> does what it does but I was deep in in Harry Potter series I was deep in Lord of the Rings I was deep in I don't know if you've heard of the um the the children of the Red King series it's about a Charlie Bone um I loved that um the the I forgot what the collective series his dark materials Mm -hmm. series the you know the the Northern Lights the Amber Spyglass and the subtle knife and I was just I was just in awe of just young adult fiction and the and the beauty with the young adult fiction is that you have the opportunity to really tap into what it means to be a young person and a child um, going through such heavy and emotional topics in life but also reminding adults of this fact yeah and um beautiful 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 yeah I lived in young adult fiction and then until I felt like I had to grow up (laughs) and I started going into crime fiction and I thought all right enough of the spells and 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 the enchanted doors that lead you to everywhere else in the world let's talk about crime so I went into crime fiction and I read a lot of Harlan Harlan Coburn Linwood Barclay um what's his name is it James Brown is it James Brown um I forgot what his name is, but um, yeah, the one, the guy who had the Alex Cross series. I read, I read a lot of his, a lot of them, their stuff, and I just, yeah, man, I was, I, I, I was with the, with, the, with, with the crime. I was with it, like you know, <laughs> trying to find out who did what and like get to the end of the story and um, the realities and the humanness of of it all. And the stories of of like a father who lost his wife, but then his daughter went missing, and that emotional turmoil of trying to find out who last saw her, how he found her, all of that stuff, trying to really dig into what that was, or the you know the 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 sports star who was caught up in a, in a huge scandal but they, but you know it goes deeper than it just being the scandal it's this really underground kind of stuff that's going on and they just happen to get caught up in love that stuff love a complex storyline love a mystery love a fantasy <laughs> love all of it so um that's what really kind of pulled me to um to reading and I just like I I found my I just found my tribe, man, my community in it. Mm. Yeah, there's um, so there's one book that I have as a recommendation that you've probably read, but it actually gives me a nice transition to my next question. But I read it studying English when I was at A level, and it is called In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. In what? Sorry. In Cold Blood. In Cold Blood. Okay. Which is. Two guys. It's a real. It's a real story. But two guys go. It's like a botched robbery where they, it ends up that they um, commit murder on, with a family. They don't realize the family's in. But the book is about him getting to know the two people that are committed of it, and they are on death row. He, but he's a journalist in real life, and gets to know them and kind of. Yeah, I won't spoil it. But yeah, it's just really interesting him describing not only the events of 
of the crime, but actually like the personal attachment he ends up developing in terms of like an affinity for one of them is so strange, mm. but it's um yeah, great read. So that might scratch an itch in terms of the um the crime it almost feels fantasy, but I believe it's to be true. So um yeah. There's one for you. Hey, okay. In cold blood, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a have a have a delve into that. I love it. Um, but I, I'm gonna. I'm really. I really want to get back into my my young adult fiction, man. Because um, I read such. I read such um, heavy technical stuff just on a day to day. If I'm not reading something about psychology, or mental health, or um, you know, I'm training to be a therapist at the moment, yeah. and I'm reading about the you know emotionality and kind of what that looks like. And it's just it's such real stuff. Yeah. Um, and like I'm you know again reading biographies and kind of teachings and spirituality things and of that nature and then just you just want to just escape solely to somewhere else completely and um yeah i might tap back into my charlie bone series just to kind of get me get me going just a little bit um but um yeah man i love that stuff oh i'm glad so the reason i said it was a, a really badly put transition was this idea of that you take this love for reading and literature and you take it with you as a university degree where you go and study foreign languages in the Midlands right. and more specifically right. Nottingham. Um, mm-hmm. How did you find that transition up to the Midlands and what would you say was the most significant lesson you pulled from your time as a student? I say up north. I know that annoys everyone from the Midlands because they're like, no, it's not it's up not north. But, it's the heart of England. Yeah, it's the the middle of the country. I it's yeah. me just you know the arrogant London kind of just thinking anything yeah. north of us is north. But um, yeah, I um, I had I had family in the Midlands. Ah, so I'd already I'd always grown up there. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a foreign idea for me it wasn't difficult for me to go up there it wasn't anything I was just like oh this is not, I'm not, not I didn't have family specifically from Nottingham yeah but um, it was nice to think that my family were half an hour away if I needed to go and meet and see them or catch up with them and keep them there mm. so um, that was that was that but you know going from lang- going to languages I only I didn't study literature actually I studied languages and linguistics for like a um, for the first I studied linguistics for the first year first and second year and then I kind of dropped linguistics and I just continued with foreign languages and I did Spanish and French and within it I kind of I I did spend a lot of time in literature in their literature and um you know I kind of I became a huge fan of Spanish literature you know um even Pablo Neruda I was very um interested in the Latin american experience um, okay, yeah. naturally being of the americas i was just like oh okay so we have the caribbean i want to get deep into latin america so the pablo Neruda's, the gabriel um garcia marquez um kind of kind of stuff you yeah. know the the juno diaz um dominican experience and what that means what that looks like and um you know, and I kind of really started branching out. I did French as well. So I was looking at the Francophone cultures. I read IET by Roxane Gay. And and I kind of, and I was really tapping into just these, these hybrid experiences 
experiences of what of uh, of of parts of the world that had been colonized by the Europeans, um, and obviously I and I I read a lot of the the, the, the English Caribbean stuff mm. naturally already, but the French Caribbean stuff, the Marie Sconde, the um, Patrick Chamozo and all of these guys, I just really just kind of tapped in to it because I felt like again it's like what I said about carnival it's like my, it is my birthright mm. it is the shared and collective experience of what it means to be subjugated by a culture that was not yours yeah but yet you are writing a you're writing a bodies of work in their language mm. in the language that you have been for have been forced upon you by by oppression yeah and brute force and um, that was a, that was something that I had to really come to terms with. The very fact that each day I speak English is the is the reminder of the colonizers' quote unquote success. And it just, and I struggle with that very often a lot of the time because I'm just like because I you know I speak patois from the Jamaican patois and I really kind of tapped into French Creole. Um, and I love learning and I love the kind of the differences in uh, Latin American and Caribbean Spanish and how they differ. I made a lot of Dominican friends on my year abroad when I was in Spain and things of that nature. But um, we try to empower ourselves with these languages that are, uh, that, that we had to use and utilize for survival as well. And it really kind of, it holds, it holds fast on our, on our identity. So um yeah, um, I loved studying languages. I loved every moment of it. It was so difficult in places because conjugations are a bitch. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but um, it was good. Like I really enjoyed the, the. I traveled every other year. I was in a country. Um, I was somewhere, yeah. um, and I spent nine months abroad after university teaching English on a French-speaking island and. Yeah, I just exp- I really just showed up for myself. Yeah. You know, I was just like, yes, this is kind of I want to explore more. And again, coming back home, getting into work, working as a journalist, and kind of stuck in London, not necessarily doing the journalism that I wanted to do. Um, I lost a lot of that fire for travel, that fire for exploration. And I think that it was coming back to me in 2020. Um, and I'm glad kind of for my own personal sake, it's so selfish at the moment, but I was like, okay, cool. I don't have to go anywhere at the moment. <laughs> but as soon as this, as soon as this is locked up, locked up, as soon as this is done, I can get out and travel to the places I want to travel to. Yeah because it it means so much more now Mm. it's such a different feeling of traveling now we're going to see people with this intentional need to to be away from their home countries yeah and i so badly want to go and explore and learn from other places now and i even want to explore england and the uk like I, i i saying this to my um my uncle this weekend I want to really, I want to tap into the UK and really get to know it. Mm. I think that's something that we that we have lost or never even invited to do as people who 
um, of people of color in the country, we've just been excluded from understanding the country that we're in, you know, and especially as Londoners as well, it's this idea of, oh, why go to Cornwall? Why go to Manchester? Why go to Bristol? Why go up north? Why go da 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 da? Why not? Yeah. There's so much to see in this country. There's so much history. As much as the history is, you know, wrought with blood and violence and all these different things. There's so many places that we can go. There's amazing coastlines. There's um, some really quaint, um, homely villages and towns and, you know, just with different pieces of culture and environment there. So, yeah, I'm just like, there's so much that we can do. Yeah. So much that we can do. And um, I'm just looking forward to being able to just do it. Yeah. Without having to worry. Mm. Yeah, there's um oh that's brought up so many nice feelings in terms of firstly you speaking with such passion about your degree. Um it's just really lovely to hear and to have such an enriching experience and then being able to let that kind of bleed into a career for the you know, for those nine months or so afterwards. Um and yeah, this idea of England, I, I think as Londoners especially, it's this idea of you feel like everything's here and that because it is quite culturally diverse, you don't feel the need to get out of the bubble as it were. And then, mm. yeah, kind of as I, I moved away for university and I remember just being like, this is like a completely different world. It felt so strange. And I, mo- I only moved to Southampton and it's not like a great shift culturally, but it's... It was enough to be like, oh god, like I, I've, I've, re- it was being slapped in the face of like, real, you know, I guess just like, cultural, like deprivation. This idea of like, oh god, I've really not experienced shit at like, eighteen. I, I really am just like so, so much a product of where I've been kind of just born and raised. That yeah, you feel like, you get you you get like this itch to kind of in terms of self-development and just evolution, you feel like you need to experience more. So once Mm. again, very much empathize and resonate with me kind of the way that you spoke about just exploring England. Um, So you, you do come back and you go into reporting, but alongside your reporting work, you start up a podcast, which is something we definitely have in common, but You've been podcasting since 2016 and a lot's changed over those five years. I was wondering, can you speak to what podcasting looks like for you when you were coming up with your podcast at the time, Mostly Lit, which has ended now, but it hasn't ended your journey in podcasting. But can you speak to kind of what it looked like in 2016 and kind of what were your maybe like personal hopes and desires for what you could get out of that platform? kind of that form of medium that platform specifically yeah um at the time podcasting wasn't a thing like it was youtube i had listened to a few podcasts that started in 2013 but i had never thought about and i was starting my own podcast until i sat down and i thought to myself actually there's this podcast that um happens that's in the states and um 
I wonder if they, they, if we could do the same, but just for books in the UK. And I ended up just, you know, pitching it to my friend and we went about and found, you know, a network that would accommodate that. And um, we had that conversation and I thought that it was an amazing opportunity just to kind of do something different. I'd always wanted a radio show. I'd always wanted to be on radio and speak. Um, but I never had the opportunity to do that throughout my own experience in journalism. Mm. So I thought, okay, take it into my own hands. Let me actually create um, a space that we can speak and have a conversation. And yeah, so, you know, I, you know, and at the time it just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't big, like podcasting people just like, oh, what's that? That's a bit strange. Da, 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 da. I think that's become more and more of a, you know, businesses use it for marketing. People, it's so easy to set up a podcast nowadays. Um, the initial costs of it aren't as expensive as you would imagine them to be. It's just, all you've got to do is buy a decent mic and have a decent computer that can record even then have a phone that can record. Yeah. Um, and uh, you have to just believe that what you're doing is good and and, and decent, you know, because ultimately now um, at this stage, I was like, you know, we've got all these podcasts now. It's like, how do you stand out? And you also got to keep leveling up and continuing just to be as good as you can be in your space. So, yeah, I mean, the, the nature of like podcasting now there's a lot of competition out there, but it is not, it's still not as uh, saturated as YouTube and video. No. Um, but I think it's a key part of the content creating process now. Um, a lot of content creators have a YouTube channel and a podcast mm. or both together. Brands are specifically looking at podcasts to get their message across and out nowadays. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm extremely pleased to have been in podcasting for as long as I have and I continue and I want it to be go on for as long as I can as I can make it to be honest um because I've because a, a lot of my key moments in my 20s had to in my late 20s mid to late 20s were to do with the podcasting experience and um I'm extremely grateful I started podcasting at 24 and I think October will make six years of podcasting wow so it's been good going yeah because then you end up starting at the time it was what matters but of course now it's evolved into time to talk yeah um and you hold this like beautiful space for the conversation of mental health but it's not it's the umbrella of mental health but you've done this fantastic job of pinpointing with a specific guest that you're having on that right this drilling down and going right this com this part of what mental health conversation is would be very interesting with said person how have you found how have you found just having these really enriching conversations with people from many different walks of life and now you've just got this massive library of episodes of like these phenomenal phenomenal conversations with really special people including yourself of course as one of those special people um yeah how does that feel kind of looking back in a reflective way i, I know it's not the end but being able to reflect on what you've built with time to talk i i'm so 
I am so happy that it's grown in the way it has and it's growing in the way it's growing because I always wanted to start. I always wanted to, after, after having a book podcast, I thought, you know, like having a book podcast is a lot of work because we were reading a book a week and I was like, this is really draining and hard. Um, Cause you have to read the book a week, you have to dissect it and you have to then debate it. And then we started again and it was again. And we went again, again, again. So, my thing was always like, I wanted to have the conversations with people about their health. Um, that's why What Matters came up. I wanted to have the conversation with people about their health. And I wanted to be able to um, really tap into what makes, what had, what, what kind of had made them the best that they could be, you know, um, people's health and in, in their workplace, at school, you know, um, in their projects and stuff. And just over time, it just gradually, I started speaking to a lot more men about their mental health and it just gradually moved into a space where I could just call it time to talk. And my agent said, you should call the, you should call the book time to talk and you should alter your podcast to do the same. And I said, interesting, mm. that could be really, really fun. <laughs> and I said, let's do it. It went from so many different things. It went from the talk, it went um, talking with, um, it went for all these different things, <laughs> but um time to talk it's a lovely little name for yeah. a podcast i completely agree it's cute. <laughs> it is cute it also it's nice that you've kind of allowed the evolution of the podcast to kind of it has a very tangible thing that has actually truly evolved with the podcast which is the name and as you've mentioned it is the name of your book can you give people an insight into what time to talk the book is all about I'm really, really excited that I've managed to get a copy early. Um, <laughs> but yeah, can you speak to what that book represents in terms of what it is, what the content is in short, because I know that time mm -hmm. is time is something we're in consideration of, but also this yeah. idea of what, what it's allowed you to do that maybe the podcast didn't initially, or just it's given yeah. you the idea of like having something different to the podcast, but aligned with your mission. The book is a manifesto for healing. Mm. Um, it's me saying to men, I see you and I hear you. And I have experienced a lot of this, a lot of this stuff too, myself. What are we going to do about it next? Um, it's a manifesto for that. It's exploring what mental health looks like in the wider context of men of men mm. um it's exploring and kind of sowing the seeds for my wider conversations around emotionality mm. um and connectivity it is conversations with a lot of different men about their own experiences with grief with self-acceptance with self-worth with all of these different things that we experience as men but we don't speak about yeah friendship relationships work the work-life balance not that there's such a thing but um you know like we, it uh it's one of those um yeah we have a have a deep deep understanding um and conversation around that stuff um in the book and it's kind of, it's digestible you know you could read that in a day mm. or two <laughs> and um it's right it's quite like you know you just pick and choose which chapters you want to start in yeah. 
and um, you just go from there. It's lovely. It's a lovely little, it's a lovely little first book, and I'm so proud of it. And I just hope that it speaks to men and women, and you know, and it, and I hope that they, you know, people who identify non-binary, mm. genderqueer, everybody different sexualities, different experiences. Um, and I hope that it becomes a place of a source of conversation starting. I believe it will. You're truly fantastic. The space that you provide with your podcast and just in general, the the traveling platform that you are in terms of what you've provided for men, obviously for my, like for myself, that's what I can directly attach to. But also this idea that you've provided this fantastic space for black men to be open and have the conversation mm. around men's mental health is something that I've really appreciated being more as a spectator, of course, in that case. Mm. So, yeah, please, please, please go and support Alex. I'm going to get Alex to plug everything and then ask him the final four questions. So, Alex, where can people find more of you? And where can they just access more greatness from yourself? Um, you can find more of me on Instagram. Um, that's where I reside. Okay. Um, it's at by Alex Holmes, by Alex Holmes. And you can go to Vero, where I post a lot of my book recommendations typically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Alex Reads over at Vero.co forward slash Alex Reads. And yeah, I just um where else am I? If you go to alexholmes.co, you can explore the wonders the wonders of what I'm creating and what I'm building there. I have a newsletter that I send out each Friday called Feel Good Friday, which explores a short little nugget of um emotional resilience because I haven't really spoken about this today, but I'm a I'm an emotional resilient healer and coach Um, and I work with men particularly at the moment about how to you know navigate emotional resilience and awareness to kind of deal with the stressful parts of life and a lot of the different conversations I have in the book kind of allude to that Mm -hmm. Um, so I work with emotional resilience and I am yeah so you know there's there's the there's the information for quote-unquote coaching in there mm-hmm. there's the newsletter there there's where you can pre-order the book there there's there's a different ways you can get in contact with me there um oh yeah and the podcast just head over to the podcast time to talk with alex holmes and yeah you can speak to me about whatever <laughs> have a listen and um drop me a message if you want anything read out on air and stuff so, yeah so yeah awesome I love it. I'm a subscriber of the newsletter. It is fantastic. So you've got one recommendation (laughs) from me there and I love the podcast. So everything that Alex has plugged is fantastic. So please, please go and support him in whatever way that suits you. Right, Alex, final four questions. These are questions I ask all the guests and they are questions that are more open and a bit more general. So question one. If I was to give you a megaphone that spoke to the entire world and you could share only one message, what would it be? Love one another. I love it. That's great. Love one another. 
I think that's all that needs to be said on that. Me, yep, completely agree. <laughs> Question two: <laughs> What's your biggest personal struggle that not many people know about? Trusting myself. Mm. I have to remind myself daily that I trust myself and believe what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah, the moment we begin to not have trust in ourselves and our decisions is the moment we really give up our power and our understanding of who we are. Um, trusting myself is one of the most, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, my decisions, my just, yeah, just decisions in general, whether that be for my work decisions, my exercise decisions, my relationship decisions, my friendship decisions, my conversations that I'm having, the things that I'm really trusting that I'm meant to be having these things, these conversations and doing that has been one of the hardest things. Um, and really learning how to say yes and no and what that means mm. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Question number three. What are three personality traits slash characteristics that you would say you've built your life upon up to this point? Being trustworthy. In order to be trustworthy, you have had to have broken trust to understand what that, to understand the gravity of what breaking trust within a friendship and a relationship and a family means, um, even work. So trustworthiness is something that I built up over time. Um, open-heartedness you ha again you have to have experience being closed off in order for you to understand what it means to be open-hearted it's so weird doesn't it mm -hmm. you have to understand the opposite in order for you to be truly the one the other way completely yeah. um, um, and the third personality trait characteristic um, curious mm curious i am very curious about all things <laughs> yeah. everything i want to know oh that's awesome i want to know like i i'm supremely just interested in everything <laughs> yeah there's so much i'm it's annoying that i have a limited amount of time on this earth because i would want to know everything <laughs> i would want to know i would want to watch every documentary I want to read as many books as I can. I want to listen to as much music as I can. You know, unfortunately, realistically, that's not possible. But we also, but it also kind of informs my life. It means that I never say no to something straight away unless I've a really good experience with something mm. of that nature. You know, like I always try, I'm always willing to try something once or twice. <laughs> and, um, yeah so i'll always try i love it that yeah all three of those are amazing the final question it's my favorite question many years into the future your time as alex holmes is coming to an end the person closest to you only has one sentence to describe you and your time here on earth what would you hope that would be boy um I love that question. Mm -hmm. um, it would be, he did his best to make it safe for us. Mm. 
Alex, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I've yeah, just having this conversation with you is something I, you know, irrespective of irrespective of microphones, it's just something I've I've been looking forward to anyway. So thank you very much. I'm really appreciative of it. Um and yeah, mm. everyone please go check out Alex in whatever way in terms of he's a man of many talents, so you get a choice in terms of what suits you in the doses of Alex that you get. So please go check out whatever whatever you your heart desires in that that respect. Right, Alex, let's say goodbye to everyone. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>